when those tragedies occurred for me, which is the death of my entire family, except for my brother, one by one, and the burning of my house and overcoming heroin addiction, all these things, those tragedies for me were openings for me to ask the question, how can I have an experience of life that is completely radical and revolutionary outside of what I'm constantly told by the mechanisms of reality are impossible. I am Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. So before we bring on our guest speaker today, I think it'll be really cool if I just made one of you come on live so you can share your story. So does anybody have a really cool pandemic story of how you're using Mind Valley to make the most out of the pandemic? Simply type in, I have a story, okay? And you must have a webcam. You must be prepared to go live and share your story in under two minutes. So hopefully you've studied Speak and Inspire by Lisa Nichols. So we're going to go with Renee. Renee Alessandria. Just a reminder, if you're on the connection app, you can type in Renee's name. You can probably find her. You can connect with her. If something she says resonates with you, you can read her bio and her profile. Renee, I'm going to introduce you by bringing up your bio on the connection app so people know who you are. Okay, so we're pulling out all the Renees. I think that's you. There's a Renee here. Yep, that's me. Okay. Renee is a free spirit that is into gardening, yoga, and anything creative. She's super excited about this app and making wonderful connections. She's a business owner. Renee, what country are you in or city? I'm in Toronto right now. I'm in Canada. Awesome. Awesome. So let's hear your story. You wanted it pertaining to the pandemic, right? And how Mind Valley has really helped me. Yeah. So in the beginning of the pandemic, I did the masterclass for Kevin Honda for the Money EQ. I've been a business owner for about 13 years, and I really wanted to start a new company, but I was really stuck on saving my money because I'm a single mom. So I was like, okay, I have to make sure I save, I save, I save. And that class really helped me to go to the next level. I actually end up getting a warehouse, a fulfillment center, and the month that I did the Kevin Honda, I made... The amount that I made in a year, I made in a month. That's insane. What is your company? What's the business called? It's called BLK-ED, so Blacked. It's www.blk-ed. Thank you, everyone, for congratulating me. <laughs> you built this website, blk.ed. These designs are totally badass. I love them. So Thank you. Handbags and purses. Yeah, yeah. I actually created it for my daughter because she was starting school and we couldn't find a backpack that had an image of like a little brown child or black child on it. So because I couldn't find it, I was like, you know what? Let wow. me just make it. So I took the leap and you actually helped me take the leap. It was one of, I can't remember exactly which masterclass, but you said something like, just go and do it. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. So I, <laughs> I actually created it. So this is super inspiring. This is super inspiring because you were inspired by your daughter. You started a handbag company that designs bags for women of color. And I think this is so, so, so cool because you saw that there was a gap there in the market. And I love how you overcame a block. You did this while being a single mom, which, you know, as a parent myself, I can tell you how difficult that can be. 
And you made more money in one month than you did previously in one year, which is a hell of a cool story. So here's something I want to ask you guys, okay? So we bring on a lot of guest speakers, but I want to ask you guys this. What if we did a live session and we brought on members like you guys, like Renee, and we had them teach, do like a simple 10-minute TED Talk style presentation on how they did what they did. So every session, we brought on five guest speakers from Mind Valley, and we did a TED Talk style presentation. So you'd hear from Renee how she launched her website for her handbag company and how she was able to pull this off and the mental blocks and the challenges she had to overcome. Would this be interesting for you guys? I would be interested in that. <laughs> We're going to make this happen. You're going to be our first speaker, okay? Shoot me a friend request on the Connection app. And if any of you want to connect with Renee because you found her story inspiring, Renee, I'm going to wait for your friend request on the Connection app so we can stay connected on Telegram. And all of you can find Renee. Renee, I'd recommend you put your last name in the app as well because there are many Renees. That way people will know that it's you, okay? And put your website there as well so people can check out your website. Perfect. I'll do that. All right. Now, one more thing I want to encourage all of you guys to do. If you're on the Connection app, you can now add six photos. So we have updated the app. So Renee, you can add a photo of your handbags, of your designs. You can add six photos and people can scroll through it. So if you are a designer, if you have something visual, artsy, if you want to show a picture of yourself with your kid, you can now add six photos. Now, here's the other thing. Some of you are asking, where is the app? If you're an all-access customer, download it from the App Store, Connections by Mind Valley. It's a community app where our entire community comes together, okay? Now, here's the other thing, guys. On the Connection app, I want you to spend some time setting up your bio. Just put in a bio. I just got off the call with Sean Butter. Sean Butter is the former head of machine learning for BMW. He's a member of All Access. And Sean is working on an algorithm where we are going to use artificial intelligence to scan your bios and recommend and predict who your next best friend will be. So for example, if you're Renee, by reading your bio, this AI theoretically will be able to find someone else in Renee's city that we can connect her with that we predict she'll have an incredible conversation with over coffee. And this person, you know, who knows? It could be someone you hire. It could be a future business partner. It could be a friend. It could be someone you fall in love with. We don't put it into a category. We're simply predicting a human-to-human -human match by what you put in your bio and by what you're studying on Mindvalley. Okay, so take some time to fill out your bio. So here are the steps. Download the app, Connections by Mindvalley, fill out your bio. And if you want to get connected with other members directly, we use Telegram because it's safe, private, secure. It's not owned by Facebook. You need to create a Telegram handle and just share your Telegram handle. Mine is, for example, Vision L. Super easy to remember. Any of you can message me on Telegram. Okay. So with that, thank you, Renee. I'm going to get back to you guys soon on our first sharing session. So great to have you in all access. So excited to hear more of your stories. By the way, we have 11,000 stories right now. Just go to stories.mindvalley.com. And one of the things we just did is we added a country filter. So you can see stories from people in your country. This is particularly useful if you're in smaller countries. If you type in the USA, you'll see like 5,000 stories. But if you're in a smaller country, you might find other all access members that you find inspiring that you may want to connect with. Again, that's stories.mindvalley.com and you can submit your story too. So I love the idea of everyone here inspiring each other. And Renee, you've inspired me because I am so freaking in love with these designs. This is so cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really do.
Okay, so take care, Renee. We're going to bring you back. You're going to be our first speaker. I can't wait to see what you have to share. Now, we have our guest today, Biet Simkin. So I'm going to read you a little bit about Biet. Biet is an incredible teacher, a world-renowned meditation leader, dubbed the David Bowie of meditation. She's a musician who weaves the world of pop culture and spirituality, teaching practical applications of ancient spiritual wisdom. Her teachings are featured in Biet's best-selling book, Don't Just Sit There, published by Simon & Schuster. Biet has taken tragedy, like this woman has been through some serious stuff, and used it as fuel to change her life and inspire hundreds of thousands of people. She was raised by a shaman in New York, so her story is crazy, signed to Sony Records at the age of 19 as a singer-songwriter. She dove into the rock and roll lifestyle, became a DJ in the fashion scene in Manhattan, and after a string of life-changing events, including the sudden loss of a daughter, she turned inward into the study of meditation and launched a series called Guided by Biet. The meditation experience brought meditation to audiences in museums, hotels, fashion shows. And what made her really special was how she combined meditation with music and pop culture, creating a revolutionary new trend. She's been featured in Vogue, Forbes, Elle, and even Time Magazine, and is the resident meditation guru at the Sundance Film Festival, MoMA, and Soul Cycle. So please welcome Biet Simkin. Hey. Biet, so good to have you on Mind Valley. Vishen, it's so good to be together. So let's get started. Now, Biet, one of the most interesting things about you is your story of loss. Well, firstly, you've had an incredible set of life experiences, but I would love, I would love to hear about how you were able to take that loss, the devastating loss, and turn it around in some way to the best of your, I mean, to the best that anyone can. You know, it is incredibly painful to be a human. And I think that I've been blessed with these extraordinary shocks in the work that I teach. It's called shocks, the law of shocks. And it's kind of like it shocks you into a state of presence. For anyone who's listening, who's lost someone or has been faced with death or maybe critically ill or whatever faced them that was just beyond what they thought they could handle, I feel like it gives us this yearning to find another state or frequency on this planet. This planet, the three-dimensional world that we live in, it's very what's the word? It's very blocked. It tells you that you can't do much. You know, like Renee was saying, she made in a year, what she made in a year, she made in a month. Most people will never have that experience in their entire life. Whatever they're making in a year is what they make in a year. That's it. And that's all they can make. And so I think that when those tragedies occurred for me, which is the death of my entire family, except for my brother, one by one, and the burning of my house and overcoming heroin addiction, all these things, those tragedies for me were openings for me to ask the question, how can I have an experience of life that is completely radical and revolutionary outside of what I'm constantly told by the mechanisms of reality are impossible? If you don't mind me asking, what happened? What was that string of events that you went through? Well, when I was young, my mother died when I was six. And my father was this awakened shaman. So he was kind of like Eckhart Tolle with a sex addiction. If you can imagine Eckhart Tolle being like a really sleeping with all his students, that was my father. But he was an enlightened master in the sense that being in his presence, you felt 
hi. Like he just had a way. But meanwhile, he wasn't very paternal. Like I'd be like, dad, you know, I need some pencils for my class for school. And he'd be like, what is a pencil really? What is the meaning of it all? You know, he would go on these tangents and they were so enlightening and so alive. But really, my life was just a total disaster because I didn't have a mother. And then all my grandparents died one by one. So it was funeral after funeral after funeral. And we were very poor. I was growing up in the tenements in Queens. There was roaches. There was mice. We had no food. Like shit was just crazy. And then after I got signed to Sony, I'm an alcoholic. And so I just really went to town with drugs and alcohol. And inside of all of that, of becoming a famous DJ and all this stuff, I had a baby and then my baby died of sudden infant death syndrome. And then my house burnt down and then my father died of a heart attack. And that all happened within one year. Oh my God. You lost your baby to sudden yeah. infant death syndrome, which is devastating. You lost yeah. your home, your house burned down. Yeah. And your father died all in one year. It was two years, but yeah. Okay. All of that, that's an incredible level of disruption that one will experience in life. I'm curious to know, what did you go through? Because I think, I believe there's a lesson here. Like the Rumi said, the wound is the part through which the light enters, right? What was that lesson that you went through and what emerged? I think that I had always, because my father was this awakened teacher, I had always been pursuing spirituality, but from a very selfish, self-centered, vain place. Like I wanted it for free. I wanted to find God. I wanted to find the meaning of life. I wanted to have it all, but I wasn't willing to do the work. I really wasn't. And so for me, that looked like snorting heroin or popping LSD or taking mushrooms in the desert. It didn't look like actually putting in the legwork of waking up every morning and living my life in a way that is radically you know, different. And so that moment, I was using a tool called divided attention, which is a tool that I speak about in my book. And divided attention allows you to meditate while you are living life. So you just watch yourself in third person and say, huh, how am I doing? Am I being rude? Am I being nasty? Am I selfish? Am I self-centered? And you watch yourself. And so I was doing that and I could see who I was for the first time. I could see that I was just a selfish, self-absorbed little girl. And it just woke me up to, well, if I don't want to be a self-centered, selfish little girl, what would I have to do? And the first thing that came to me was that I needed to get sober. And so 12 years ago, I got sober. Can we talk about divided attention? I'm very curious about that. So I'm reading out something really interesting here, folks. This is a quote on Biet by the actor, comedian, Russell Brand, whom I'm sure you've all heard about. And he said, Biet is a strong and enchanting teacher. The only other methods I know to attain the state she induces through her work are illegal. <laughs> she is a wonder. So this divided attention method could you talk a little bit more about it? The Mind Valley audience, they are really advanced audience. We are probably the most advanced personal growth community in the world anyway. So they love hearing new methods and techniques that they can instantly apply. I'd love for you to go a little bit more into divided attention. Sure. Divided attention doesn't get you high. I think that what Russell loves so much about my work is the breath work that I teach, which, you know, people give me, put me up on the pedestal with the wonderful Wim Hof all the time in the sense that when they come to my experiences, people faint, people collapse onto the floor. So I'm happy to take you through some of that breath inside of this time together, Vishen. But I'll talk about divided attention, but it's a much more conceptual piece. It just means meditating 
while you are doing other things. So it's a sense of a third attention. And you can do it through presencing in the sense that we can do it together right now, okay? So I'm going to say that I hear, taste, feel, smell something. And then you tell me something that you're hearing, tasting, smelling, feeling, any sense. And then we just take a deep breath and kind of be together. So I sense a heaviness in my chest. And then you share. I sense a tenseness in my back. I smell the faint smell of sugar in the air. I smell the autumn leaves. I taste something metallic on my tongue. I taste water infused with lemon. I see the sun peering in through my window. I see my computer screen. So notice how when we're doing this, you're gaining attentions that you wouldn't normally have. Mm. And divided attention is actually saying, take one more attention while you're doing all those things. So you could be cooking eggs, having sex, driving your car. You take one more attention and you float to the top of the room above you and just see yourself from above. See yourself. Imagine that you and I are together. We're not like you you're in Europe and I'm in Denver. Like we are actually in the same room together. And imagine that we're sitting next to each other and gazing into each other's eyes. And imagine you could see yourself, your own, the bridge of your nose, your freshly made beard that you're growing. And that's a divided attention. So you start to see yourself. I think that the difference, people who live a life where their attention is always fascinated, meaning like they're always about the other person, are never really listening to them because their attention is never on themselves. And therefore, you need an attention on your own listening to actually listen. You need an attention on your own listening to actually listen. Yeah, it's a third attention. So like most people live in a world where there's only one attention. Their attention is on the thing that they're paying attention to. So if I'm focusing on you, Vishen, right? and I'm just focusing on you and focusing on you, then my focus is going to be only on you and also maybe what I want to get from you or what I want you to do for me or what I need from you or whatever is going on in my little self-absorbed human world. But if I have this third attention, it allows me to have pause and so that I can be most useful to you because I can't be useful to you if A, I'm completely focused on you because then I cease to exist and B, I can't be useful to you if I I'm thinking about what I need to get from you and what I want from you, because that's not helpful to you. When would one apply this divided attention protocol? You can use it anytime as a practice. So what I did when I first started doing divided attention was I would just ask myself, where am I now? I would just say, where am I? And for years I did this practice and the answer was not here. Like I wasn't present. But I was just coming present to the fact that I wasn't present. So every time I was like, oh, wow, not here, not here, not here. And after a few years, for the first time, I had this kind of aha moment where I was like, where are you, Biet? And I was like, I'm here. I was here. 
And that today, obviously, I'm here much more of the time than I used to be. But this divided attention tool is just an opportunity to kind of become present in your life. So you can use it anytime, but it's just building a muscle. I love it. I love it. That's very cool. Now, you also speak of something called the fourth way. Tell us about the fourth way. Well, fourth way, it's ancient techniques that were brought to the West by a man named Gurdjieff. And he was a Georgian mystic. And what I love about his work, I've been studying it my whole life with my father, is that it's all about enlightenment in secret. So in the sense that like you're wearing plain clothes, you have an incredible career, like you might be a president or you might be a famous actor, you might be an entrepreneur. And these things are externally real in the sense that you make tons of money, you have a great family. And these are things that are difficult. I think it's fair to say that being a parent is quite difficult. And yet, because you're studying fourth way, you're using having a family, making money, buying real estate, looking hot, and traveling the world or whatever amazing fun things you're doing in the 3D space as a means of enlightenment versus, you know, the traditional kind of Zen Buddhist method where you put on a robe, sit still for 24 hours a day, and sometimes someone comes and hits you with a stick to make sure that you're still sitting there, you know? So that is different. And fourth way is, what I love about it is that on the outside, you look just like everyone else. You look like a success. And people are like, what's different about that person? I don't know what it is. And it really is about the cross. It's about having both, right? So you and I have spoken about the cross. Obviously, the cross is an ancient symbol. People see it all over the place because it's been adopted by Christianity. But if you look at the cross as a symbol of mysticism, and that is a representation of fourth way, it's to say that the horizontal line of the cross is a representation of life. So you're born, you graduate from high school, you have sex for the first time, you get a job, blah, blah, blah. That's all on the horizontal plane. And the vertical plane, this one, is the one where the soul lives. It's where essence comes from. It's where your power comes from. It's where love comes from. It all comes from the vertical plane. And most people live their whole life on the horizontal plane. And then they try to drag money and wealth and love from that dimension, the third dimension. And so they wonder why they're so exhausted all the time, because that plane has none of those things. That plane of wealth and abundance and endless insight comes from this vertical line. And fourth way says that bliss actually comes when those two intersect, the world of the invisible, infinite resource and the world of like, holy shit, I just bought a mansion, motherfucker, you know, like that world and this world come together. And I think that's really, it's an anomaly. You know, most people when they're winning a Grammy or when they're being dubbed, something is very special happening to them for the first time, they black out because it's so exciting that they're not even able to be there for it. So this is kind of fourth way is all about having an enlightened experience while doing things that most people would consider exciting in the real world. That's a really beautiful way of conceptualizing it, the fourth way. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider joining Mindvalley All Access. Now you can sign up to Mindvalley All Access and unlock every Mindvalley program instantly. Get access to transformation from all of the world's best minds in everything from parenting to biohacking to mind, body, spirit, entrepreneurship, work productivity. Learn from the likes of Ben Greenfield, Jim Quick, Shafali Sabari, Stephen Kotler, and more. 
all available to you for less than $2 a day. Simply visit mindvalley.com forward slash now. That's mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W. And you'll be surprised to see that Mindvalley All Access now comes with advanced technologies to completely transform your learning, your networks, and your human connections, including our new private social network for students, Connections by Mindvalley, and our Altered State Inducement app, Ombana, which complements our regular training with Altered State methodologies to transform you at a subconscious level. Check it all out on mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W. Mindvalley.com forward slash now. Just taking that question further, does this mean that the mystics, right, the people who are simply monks, for example, does this mean that simply being a monk is incomplete in some way? Because they're only on the vertical axis? No, I honestly don't know if anyone on this earth in a human body could only be on the vertical axis because it's just being a human is a shit show. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like you're going to die. You have a body. It's scary. You know, you have emotions that you can't control. You have desires that you can't control. Thoughts. Thoughts are not controllable as far as I know. And I mean, I live a life where obviously I mastered my thoughts. And so most of my thoughts are ridiculously delicious, but you know, I'm a human. So I watch the cray cray thoughts go by as well. So what is to say fourth way is a way. So it's a way for each person to decide if you want to be a monk, beautiful. If you want to be a fakir and stand in the desert and hold your arm out for seven days and not eat anything, beautiful. If you want to be a yogi and move to an ashram and put on a turban, beautiful. Fourth way is not for those people. Fourth way is for people who want everything. Fourth way is for people who, for no matter what, they sense that in their essence, they want to have a giant walk-in closet filled with shoes. They sense that they want to take vacations to the Maldives. They sense that they want to be on large stages in front of thousands of people. That's a specific walk of life. And so for anyone who's listening, who felt that, you know, there's something in them that doesn't want to let those things go. Fourth way is for that person. I see. That's a beautiful, beautiful way of explaining it. Now, you also speak a lot about your definition of enlightenment. Let's go there. What is enlightenment to you? You know, I have found that what's sweet spot for me, my friend Arjuna did a research recently, and he came out with a book that I love that talks about the wheel and describes the wheel of enlightenment. And it really has, I find it's one of the most beautiful descriptions. Sorry, what is the author's full name, Arjuna? What? Arjuna Arda. Oh, Arjuna. Yeah, I know Arjuna. You know him? He's an incredible okay, great. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible writer and a great soul. And his description, which I think is a really good one, is that enlightenment isn't a final destination. My book is Don't Just Sit There. Could you read that subtitle for us? 44 Insights to Get Your Meditation Practice Off the Cushion and Into the Real World. I love that. That definition of enlightenment. What is it to be enlightened? So I think that we've been sold as people who've grown up with the 60s and 70s and all that stuff being peered into us, reading books by Ram Dass. I mean, I'm sure that you have as well, like inspired by those things growing up. 
I feel like we've been sold a copy of Enlightenment that it's a done deal. Like you have a white light experience and then you're just like different from everyone else. You're better than everyone else. You're somehow levitating. Everyone else is suffering, but you no longer suffer. You know, if you listen to Osho's speeches, he talks about how he's no longer suffering. It's just this kind of forever state. I have not found that to be the case. And I found that the more that I felt that enlightenment was going to be like that, the more I wasn't able to just relax and enjoy what enlightenment actually was, which is many different things. So the way Arjuna describes it is it's enlightenment, which is a white light experience, which by the way, I've had many of in my life. And so I thought the first time I had one, I was like, oh my God, it happened. It's happening. I'm finally enlightened and I'm better than all of you. And I can come down from the holy high mountain and like, you know, share my wisdom. And then what I found was after the white light experience, there was all this new pain and new things to learn, right? So the way he describes it is white light experience, which is enlightenment, which is a feeling of union, bliss, unity, the remembrance that we are all one, feeling that feeling that if you, anyone who's watching or listening has felt maybe while you're tripping on mushrooms or MDMA or ecstasy, right? I actually induce those states, like Russell Brand said, naturally, but if you've ever taken those drugs, you know what I'm talking about. Using breathwork. Yes, using breathwork. Yeah, yeah. breathwork is remarkable for inducing those states. It is, yeah. Yeah, for those of you who missed it, we actually had a breathwork session with the app about a month ago. But I believe the recordings may be up on your Mind Valley app, so you can go check it out. So that's the first state, is white light. So is enlightenment to you, in your definition, is it a state that you attain through psychedelics or through breathwork, and then it goes away? Or is it a way no. of showing up in the world? Yeah, so that's what I'm describing. So enlightenment, the way I see it, is a wheel. So it's a cycle, right? The same way that if you live in New York City, there's four seasons. Enlightenment has four seasons, so to speak. So the first season of enlightenment is white light, bliss, union, remembrance, self-remembering, true remembrance. The second state is creative flow. So it's a feeling of like desire to create something. It might be a business. It might be a family. It might be a work of art, a painting. It might be a work of music, but something comes flowing through you. The reason most people don't want enlightenment is because enlightenment is followed by a responsibility to fulfill on this creative flow that starts coming through you, right? So let's say you get into the creative flow. And then the next phase after that is ambition. I forget what Arjuna calls it, but it's spreadsheets, cold calls, podcast interviews. It's where the enlightenment starts taking itself into the real world, intermingling with other people. So you're acting on it. You're, you're doing stuff. Yes. Yeah. So that's the third stage. And then you're struck with a feeling of powerlessness, like, oh my God, I'm a loser. I can't do anything. You get rejection after rejection, failure after failure, because anyone who's a success in life, like you and I are, knows that part of that is rejection and failure. It's just a part of the thing, right? And so then you hit humility. And humility is when you hit your knees, you realize that of yourself, you are nothing and you need to surrender to a source within yourself and you must surrender. In that surrender process, you become nothing. And then that's followed by enlightenment. And so it goes, enlightenment, creative flow, and achievement, humility, enlightenment, creative flow, achievement, humility, enlightenment. And so once you're down with that, then you don't have to be upset when you're making spreadsheets or doing cold calls or whatever it is you're doing for your business, because you understand that it's part of enlightenment. The flow can happen faster and faster and faster. 
in that cycle, it sounds that, okay, so the first stage is the light, that feeling of connectedness. The second stage is the insight, the impulse, the intuition to go out there and do something, right? The third stage is the doing. The fourth stage, does it always have to be blocks? Does it always have to be failure? What if in the fourth stage we succeed, but we continue doing more? To me, I am a huge success and my success is imminent. But humility is a part of me that recognizes that my success is not brought to me by Biet Simkin. My success is brought to me by what I call God. I'm not religious. But humility brings me to my knees and asks me to forge a union with something that is benevolent and beyond my understanding. If I'm going to try to force my way to success, I can, but I will be fatigued and exhausted and angry when I get there. This humility piece allows me to relax and allows me to remember that I'm not the one who makes Grammys happen. Yeah, I have to show up and do the achievement piece of the enlightenment wheel, but I'm not the one who decides that. Beautiful. I love the thought piece, humility. It seems to me that it doesn't have to come through failure. You can succeed, but still have a good dose of humility. That's true as well. But I find that humans respond well sometimes to you know, and it's normal for us not necessarily to have failure, but have difficulties or like, for instance, we're all dealing with COVID right now. We're all dealing with a restriction of travel. We're all dealing with whatever we're dealing with. And I find difficulties to be a joy. When I see difficulties today, I ask, how can I use this as an opportunity to fulfill even higher on the universe's vision for me? But that doesn't mean it's not pleasant. Like I don't super love COVID. I mean, I'd love to be at a dinner table with you with some candlelight and, you know, drinking a glass of kombucha and having a dinner. That's not happening right now. So if I can't do that, then I ask, how can this be an opportunity? But I don't find that good news doesn't normally bring me to my knees. You know what I mean? When Russell Brand emails me and is like, or texts me and he's like, hey, you're the most amazing teacher ever. I'm not like, oh, I'm so humbled, right? You know what I mean? I'm more like, yay, I'm amazing. Mm, I see. Now, but you've also gone through some serious shit. What was that transformation like in terms of rebounding from something as devastating as losing your child, losing your home, losing your father within a 24-month span? You know, I have had so much trauma in my life. And, you know, I think it's really, really, really important that we don't just bypass that stuff, that we allow ourselves to fully integrate our pain into our transformation, if that makes sense, right? So just because, you know, you ever meet someone who's googly-eyed and they're like, I'm amazing. Oh, I feel so good. And you just see, you're just like, something's off about that person. I think what's really inspiring is when someone wears their tragedies as part of their gorgeous robe. Like it's depth, it's weight. I think also it causes pain too. Like for anyone who's listening, who's had tragedies in their life, it causes other problems. So I was poor for a long time, right? And I had to transform some of those beliefs that were caused by those tragedies so that I could become wealthy. I've had eating disorders and body dysmorphia. I had to go into the pain, go right into the heart of those tragedies of losing my whole family and growing up so poor so that I could transform and I no longer felt, oh, a donut is so elusive. Like you recently were posting something about ice cream versus vegetables. It's like, who wants to eat ice cream? The girl whose mother died when she was six, that's who wants to eat ice cream, not me. And so to be able to separate Biet Simkin from little Biet who's sitting in a, 
impoverished situation with an awakened guru for a father and a dead mother, that girl needs some freaking ice cream, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm curious for you to help explain your journey to us. And I think it ties to that wheel of, of enlightenment that you mentioned. Because honestly, I, I've not heard many people who have gone through the shit that you have gone through. But what was the spark that made you be it? Tell us what happened. I'm always becoming Biet. And so I feel like that's another fun thing. You know, I think that there's been so many evolutions. But if you're asking what made me like a celebrity. No, 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 no. See, I'm not asking that. I want you to tell us how you overcame your pain. What did you do? What did you do when your house burned down? What did you do when you lost your daughter, when you, when you lost your father? Did you immediately become Biet? Was there a journey of 10 years? Did you sign up for a meditation class? That's what I'm asking. Oh, I see. Yeah, the first step was I just did a lot of heroin. So for anyone who's listening who knows about buffering, you know, I did a lot of drugs. And one day, 12 years ago, I woke up and I kind of just saw myself and I was like, you're a junkie. And I was 29 at the time. And I was like, if I just keep going like this, what am I going to be at 40? That's all. I just asked that question. Like, where am I going to be? And I could see that I was going to be a junkie at 40 if I wasn't dead, right? I'd be a junkie somewhere at some party dating some younger guy, being a mess, being broke. And I was like, that's not my vision. My vision is to get married to a beautiful husband and have a family and have an expansive career and to become wealthy. And so I got sober. And so the first step for me was getting sober. It was letting go of drugs and alcohol as a mode by which I was medicating myself. That was the first step. And then that led me to returning to my father's work where I actually took my father's work and I brought it into a daily rhythm, which means I meditate for half an hour each day. I do breath work. I do ecstatic dance. I exercise once a day. It's non-negotiable, but it's not a punishment. I change the way that I eat. I changed the men that I dated. I fell in love with the man of my dreams and have a relationship of integrity. And I became wealthy. And I didn't just do that. I read every book about the metaphysics of becoming wealthy because I was poor. So I was like, well, if I don't know how to make money, then I best learn how to. Chisel by chisel by chisel by chisel, I just found the David. You know, they say there's this beautiful saying that the David carved himself out of the stone. I think it was Michelangelo. He said, I didn't do that. The David carved himself out of the stone. And so the metaphor is that we need to carve ourselves out of the stone, but who we get when we do that is the David. Mm, that's a beautiful metaphor. I believe what Michelangelo said, the David was already there. I just removed the unnecessary stones, something like exactly. that. But it's a, beautiful, yes. it's a beautiful metaphor. So I'm curious because there's a deep lesson here, right? And that's why I'm poking on this point. I didn't know that you were a heroin addict for many years. I did not know that. So your story is even more painful than I thought, because after all of that, that turmoil, you got addicted. You said you woke up one day and you decided that you needed to create a change. But what were the first steps you took to create that change? What were the first steps? The first step was just kicking drugs and alcohol, which took two days of me laying in a bed very sick. I did cold turkey. And then I did spiritual work. So basically, I found a mentor and I went through a very rigorous inventory of who I had been in the past and kind of uncovered who I wanted to be in the future. So that was the first step. And I also began meditating 15. At that time, all I could do was 15 minutes a day because I was 
just recovering from heroin addiction, I was very weak. So the first step is you have to go cold turkey on drugs and alcohol. That's not easy. And then you started 15 minutes a day of meditation. And prayer. I also immediately began praying. What happened next? Things started to change immediately. My character was returned. You know, I think that one of the main things that you lose when you go down a drug addiction is your integrity. And I felt like my motives were cleared. I was able to see how I was operating in the world was from a place of real selfishness and how can I get what I need from the world. And I'm a resourceful girl, so I can get what I need, but it's just not about that. That's not what makes us feel most full. Mm. I want you to trace this journey a little bit further because what you're saying is going to give a hope to a lot of people who might be listening to this on the podcast, right? You started meditating 15 minutes a day. You started praying. What happened next? And was that for a year? Was that for 10 years? What happened next? Well, it evolved over time, but it's not stopped. It's been 12 years since I got sober. And the prayer thing is very important because I formed a relationship with my soul. So to me, like my soul was absent from my life. And in the work that I teach, the idea is that your soul is like a unicorn that's been locked up in a barn with no light, no windows. And you come in, you find this barn, you open the door and you pull out this little unicorn. It's very weak. It's very feeble. It hasn't seen the light in a while. And you start to create a life where this unicorn feels safe. You start making money so that it can have a beautiful home to live in. You find true love someone who actually is integrity with your vision and someone who's your ideal partner, then the unicorn feels safe being part of that relationship. And you become a safe place for your soul to live. And so prayer has allowed me to have that. When I live my life today and how I've lived my life for the past 12 years is I ask my soul every day in prayer, what do you want from me? I promise I will do whatever you say. You just tell me what to do and I will do whatever you say. I love that. And I love that analogy. There's a unicorn inside all of us that's been locked up within a barn and you're slowly nurturing and nursing that unicorn. I love that. Yeah, because the unicorn, it's your leader and we've been treating it like a slave. The transformation is now my unicorn leads my life and your unicorn leads yours. But you know when you meet someone whose unicorn's leading their life. How do you treat your unicorn today? How do you, and I can see this is going to be a question people are going to be asking themselves in Mind Valley Meetups. How do you treat your unicorn? How do you treat your <laughs> unicorn today? When you wake up, when you wake up in the morning, all the way till you go to sleep, what does your daily ritual look like? Share that with us in our final five minutes. Sure. Well, it's no joke, Vishen, as you can possibly imagine. I wake up, I take a freezing cold shower, you know, I work out, I meditate for half an hour, I do breath work. And then I read spiritual texts. And then as I go through the day, I'm guiding some of the strongest and highest leaders in the world in their meditation and spiritual practices, both through guidance, conceptual, contemplative, and as well as meditative and breathwork wise. And then I sometimes for two hours in the morning, I'm spending time with my daughter. And then all evening, I spend time with my beautiful family, which is a crazy endeavor and a very fourth way endeavor. And then before I go to sleep, I take in more spiritual work. And, you know, all through the day, I'm contemplating how I can be of larger and larger service to the world. That's beautiful, Biet. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. And for all of you who are interested in Biet's work, definitely check out her book and visit bietsimkin.com, B-I-E-T, 
s i n k i n dot com. Everything on Biet is there. Marianne Williamson has a beautiful quote on Biet. Biet combines a fabulous modern sensibility with an illumined understanding of eternal wisdom. And on her website, you can read about her meditation and her music. Her book is called "Don't Just Sit There," and you can see events that Biet is holding around the world. So again, check out bietsimkin dot com. Biet, thank you so much for being a guest here on Mind Valley and on the Mind Valley podcast. Of We really、course. appreciate you joining us and sharing your wisdom with us. And also, I see someone asking how they can get some of my breath work, and the best way to connect with me is my Instagram. At guided by Biet. Guided by Biet. Thank you so much. Please check、Thank、out、you. Biet's book. Don't just sit there. Put that word on Amazon. Don't just sit there. The subtitle is "44 Insights to Get Your Meditation Practice Off the Cushion and Into the Real World." Biet, thank you, and thank you all of you for joining. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step: become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? Your relationships. How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of a hundred and fifty thousand of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.